Kentucky. I'm so thankful for that testimony from last Sunday from Sister Judish. I know Sister Britt had also told me that she felt God had touched her body and that she felt better as she was leaving than she did when she came. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. Certainly, the Lord is working in this house. Uh, hallelujah. He's healing. He's performing miracles. He's doing great things. I'm just thankful I'm a part of it. Hallelujah. I think I'm thankful I have the privilege to be part of it. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, and he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. Everybody say a withered hand. And they watched him, Jesus, whether he, Jesus, would heal this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I believe it's in Luke's account which he says, Certainly if one of your farm animals would to fall into the pit on the Sabbath you would rescue that farm animal, right? So he's saying, certainly on the Sabbath day we should do good. Now we know that Jesus fulfilled our Sabbath day, and he is our rest, amen? And we have the rest wherewith the weary may rest by the Holy Ghost, praise God. But he continued The story continues, when he had looked round about on them, noticing that they were still discontented by his words and upset, not agreeing with him, he looked at them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. He saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. How about we say that together? Let's say it. Stretch forth thine hand. And the man stretched it out. And when he did, his hand was restored whole as the other. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'd like to preach to the church today. I'd like to preach to our ministers, our leaders, our department heads. I'd like to preach to every person with a position. I'd like to preach to you today on the condition of a withered hand. The condition of a withered hand. I feel the Holy Ghost. I believe that this is a sermon. God gave me this about a week ago. Confirmed it several times before this weekend. And our leaders may know today how significant this sermon is that God would lead me to preach this today. How about we go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to speak to us. Lord God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this move of your spirit. We've already felt the opportunity to worship you, to praise you. Oh God, I feel like I'm bubbling over with your spirit and anointing, Lord Jesus. 
I desire, Lord God, to preach your word and only your word. Help me, Lord, to step out in faith, Lord God. Help me to speak, Lord, and say what you desire of us. I pray that there be healing. I pray that there be blessing. I pray today, Lord God, you would provide a supernatural answer to somebody's need here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you shout amen? God bless you. You may be seated. This story is very interesting, different than what we normally would see. There's a couple different occurrences that takes place. Specifically, in this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus is sitting in the synagogue. He is teaching the people. And there within the congregation is a man, the Bible says, has a withered hand. Unlike many of the other miracles we see that Jesus performed and the other people who had issues, this man did not specifically ask for healing. In fact, the Bible in three different Gospels, it shares this story, and it does not say at any point that the man lifted his hand, called out to Jesus, O thou son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't do it. In fact, the Bible just says he was there in the crowd when Jesus pinpointed him and called them out. Oh, I'm so thankful that he answers my prayers. I'm so thankful that when I call on him, he certainly will answer them. But I'm also thankful that he has called me out of the crowd a time or two. Even when I didn't know my need or I didn't know his power, he reached out and he touched me and he blessed me even without me having to call on him at all. I'm thankful here today that Jesus is so aware of our needs, so aware of our struggles that Jesus is able to. I feel this morning... Maybe today you came just to sit in the crowd. Maybe today you didn't have the intention of bringing that need to the Lord. But I feel like God wants me to call out some people today and say, won't you arise in faith? Won't you listen to the word of God and respond and trust that God can and will touch you and bless you and heal you? Oh, thank you, Jesus. And this man that he called out, he had the condition of a withered hand. Let me be very clear, and I'm sure today you would recognize how important your hands are. We know physically how important our hands are to be able to operate in this world. We're, we're blessed with uh, opposable thumbs. We were able to open doorknobs and to do things that uh, animals are unable to do. And, and, and we, we have these hands that operate differently than just about every other creature in the world. It makes us more accessible, makes other places more accessible, more things accessible. 
And that's just in the physical, but the spiritual significance of our hands is so important as well. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that He is going to bless the work of our hands. Hallelujah. It turns out the work of our hands is a source to which the Lord desires to bless us. Deuteronomy 28 and 12 says, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. The hands are an important aspect of Old Testament and New Testament scripture in the Old Testament for a a man to have his sin forgiven him it would be required that they he would lay his hand upon the animal to which it would be sacrificed and by laying his hand there would be a transference of his sin upon that animal and then they would sacrifice that animal in his place that's the significance of the hands we see in the new testament the significance of the hands as mark 16 and 18 tells us Hallelujah, that starting at 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. The Bible says, if there be any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church that they may lay hands upon them and they be healed. The Bible tells us that the Gentiles, the uh, specifically the Samaritans, could not receive the Holy Ghost until the disciples first came and laid their hands upon their heads and then they received the Holy Ghost. The hands are a source of transference from what I have to what they have. I'm thankful for the hands, the physical, but also the spiritual hands which the Lord has anointed and the Lord has blessed and the Lord has used. Praise God. I can think of several times seeing healing when it came to the hands. One particular time I was in Argentina. You've heard this story before, but I was in Argentina, or it wasn't Argentina, I believe it was Costa Rica, rather. We were having a large crusade. Uh, It had to have been probably 2,000 people there. Thousands of people, many hundreds of people received the Holy Ghost uh, for the first time. I was walking through the altar and praying for people, and I walked up on uh, uh, one lady from our trip, this this lady was just there with us. We were part of the youth on missions trip. And, uh, and she was praying for one of the, the natives there. And she was standing there just awkwardly. And, and I walked over and she said in my ear, her back is messed up. I'm praying that God heals her. 
you could stand you could see how she was standing just awkwardly her spine was a little strange and i said okay and i stood there for just a moment to allow god to speak to me and to tell me what to do i said okay why don't you put your hand on her back and she did and i put my hand on top of her hand i didn't want to touch her back just me i didn't think that'd be appropriate so i had her put her hand and i put my hand on her hand and we began to pray for her instantly just about that lady fell on the floor which in that custom is very very common she fell on the floor I went over and prayed for her for just a moment but something inside of me I knew that God had touched her after service I was walking around and and talking to people and I don't speak Spanish and I knew that this woman spoke Spanish She walked over to me. She began to talk to me in Spanish. I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. So she just looked at me and gave me just one sign. She looked at me and said this. And I knew right away. God had healed her back. God had touched her. That is the sign language symbol for straight. God had straightened her back. I'm telling you, your hands are powerful. Everybody lift up your hands. Your hands are powerful. They are a source of transference from your spirit to their spirit. The Holy Ghost inside of you is able to touch people, to great bless people when you lay hands upon them that's the power in your hands that's the anointing in your hands somebody thank the Lord right now for the power that he's given you and maybe others might think I'm crazy but you ever wonder why pastor seems like he shakes when he prays for you. And I try very carefully not to shake people's heads off, not to give people headaches, or to distract them from praying. But the reason I shake is because when I pray for somebody, I can just see in my mind's eye that there's virtue going out of my hand into theirs. And I'd like to believe that that virtue is great and powerful. How can I not shake a little bit? How can I not tremble a little bit as I'm being a conduit of the Holy Ghost and the power of God? Oh, hallelujah, I pray that God would use somebody today. I believe God wants to use somebody today to lay hands on someone. Hallelujah, everybody look at your hands again. God's going to use your hands as a conduit of the Spirit of God and the miraculous. All you've got to do is believe, and they will be used, as the Bible says, to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You believe that here today? If you lay hands on them, they shall recover. Oh, praise God, praise God. There are many other symbolisms of the hands in Scripture and in churches. Recognize the hands are used to reach out specifically for the Lord. The Bible says He's not far from any of us. 
he's close enough that we can reach out. And of course, he's not meaning physically, but he means he's always only an arm's length away from all of us. It's also an example of reaching out to the lost, reaching out to people who need the Lord. You're reaching for them because maybe they're far from God and you're trying to help bring them closer to the Lord. The fact is, is that the hands are instrumental in this idea of ministry work and working in the church, the Holy Ghost. And in this story, we find a man who tradition tells us was also doing work. And we don't know exactly why his hand was withered, but there are a few different ideas. There's one particular extra-biblical source that tells us that this man was a mason and that he worked with concrete and bricks, and he was specifically a builder. And there's three different thoughts on perhaps what could have happened to this man. Maybe this man had a disease that came to fruition and began to destroy his hand as he worked with his hands on a daily basis. It agitated that disease, which caused his hand to wither or to dry up, is what that word means, wither. Another idea is that perhaps he had an accident. Maybe at work, he dropped the brick on his hand. One of the animals that they were using to haul the bricks ran into it or stepped on it or kicked it. Somehow, in the course of his work, he got into an accident and it damaged his hand to the point to where it withered and dried up. The third thought is that just in working, his arthritis from constant use grew so bad that his hands slowly began to crumble under the pain of that arthritis. Whatever it was, this man whether it be pride or something else, was not willing to stand that day and to declare he had a withered hand and he needed Jesus' help. Because for whatever reason, in the course of his work, he found himself completely disabled. When something like that happens, it makes it hard to make a living can imagine a mason, his whole livelihood is based on his hands, being able to work with his hands. And this morning, if I may exit from the story and enter into what I feel in the spirit God is wanting me to deliver to this church, there are workers in this house, men and women, you've committed and devoted your time your energy, your thought processes to the ministry and the work of God. 
And if I can be honest and straightforward with you now, almost entering 20 years in ministry, 10 years as pastor of this church, this is not easy work. Church work can be difficult. Church work can wear on you. Church work can wear out your faith. It can wear out your humility. It can wear out your love. And I know it's silent today and it's quiet, but if I may just share some of my heart with you today. There's a reason I believe, and I've mentioned this before, but I believe there's a reason why Jesus told the disciples Every time you leave a house and they reject you to clean off the bottom of your shoes. I know that one of the reasons for that is it was a symbol, a sign against that house, against that city that they had rejected the word of the Lord. But I believe it also was essential for the disciples. There was symbolism there because they had to walk from place to place. They had to walk on dirt ground. Their feet quickly, easily became dirtied. And if they did not take time to clean their feet, that dirt would remain and clog. It could cause major sores, even making it to where it's impossible to walk. And I believe there's symbolism there because in ministry, we find rejection often. In ministry, our faith is broken often. Our hope can be broken often. In doing the work of God, it can be easy for us to carry the weight of every rejection, every pain from somebody leaving every pain from somebody not listening to you when you're trying to give them the word of the Lord, the pain of seeing loved ones pass away even though you prayed for them, the pain of trying to build something, and yet in the very building of that thing, it is the source and the cause of your hand becoming withered away. I'm preaching today to some people. Perhaps this morning you're here and it's not the physical hand that has been withered, but it is the withered faith. It's withered love. It's withered hope. We're about to step into our 10th year as a church in April. We've seen great growth we've seen great loss. We've seen miracles done. And we've seen loved ones in our church pass away. We've seen great financial blessing. And we've seen great financial struggle. It seems like a roller coaster sometimes, up and down, up and down. And it's easy entering into our 10th year to look around and to wonder 
what it is God really has planned. Oh, trust me. I'm not preaching just to you. I'm preaching to myself. These are the exact words that God's had to minister into my heart the last two or three weeks. Hallelujah. And I believe that God has given me just a basic sermon today to be able to tell you and to say, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in church work. Don't get weary building the house of God. I know sometimes we got to step away. I know sometimes we got to give ourselves a break. But don't get weary because you're doing something great. And God's using you to build something that's going to last. Hallelujah. Don't give up just yet. Galatians 6 and 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint. Now, I don't know when it's going to be. But I know somebody's got to do the work until God brings the season of reaping. Somebody's got to keep working until the crowds come. Somebody... Somebody's got to keep it up. Somebody's got to keep doing it. Oh, praise God. Because there's a world out there that needs... The higher purpose Pentecostal church. There's a world out there that needs this loving group of people, faith-filled group of people, doctrine, uh, a fear of the truth and doctrine. Hallelujah. This world needs it. I was preparing for this sermon. I went on Google, and before I had a chance to type in my search, the Google News had come up, and it told me about in Newport, Virginia, you may have heard of this, a six-year-old boy took his gun into school and used it to harm his teacher because of an altercation they had. A six-year-old boy, and just as I read that, I looked up in the prayer room just a couple, of, about 30 minutes later when we were in the prayer room, I looked up and I saw almost every one of these children in there weeping and crying. William was shouting under the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. My son was walking around praying for people and I thought, that's it right there. That's the reason why we keep building. That's the reason why we keep fighting. That's the reason why we keep preaching. That's the re- Oh, come on now. Don't get weary in well-doing. There's a good reason why we keep on keeping on. A few years ago, my wife and I, had a very serious conversation. This was probably five, six years ago. We didn't have anybody in the church. You think that this is a small crowd. You should have been there then. We didn't have anybody in the church. We were very much second-guessing our decision, wondering, is this really the will of God? In that season, the devil had used these disappointments as a source of causing me to doubt myself. I started to question, well, maybe I'm not a very good pastor, and that's the reason. 
Maybe I'm not very good at dealing with the finances. Maybe I'm not very good at teaching. I just went down the list. And everything I said, I could think of at least one person that I knew personally that was better at it than me. So with this guy, this pastor over here, I know him personally. He's much better at administration than I am. This guy over here, he's a much better preacher than I am. And this guy over here, he's a much better teacher. And I just said to my wife, I said, well, maybe, maybe it's us. Maybe we're just not good enough. Maybe we just don't have what it takes. I'm telling you right now, that's a lie from the devil. And if you're having those thoughts, I'm here to, t- to say that's a lie from the devil. Don't let the devil convince you of that. Praise God. But it was what she said, my wife said, thank God for a wonderful. It's what she said to me that completely changed my outlook. She said, Aaron, that guy may be better at that, and that guy may be better at that, and that guy may be better at that. She said, but they're not here in the city of Stewart. And she says, I don't see very many people knocking down the door to pastor in Stewart. She said, so we may not be great, but we've all this city's got. Can I preach to you for just a moment? We're all this city's got. I'm not trying to say we're the only believers here, but I'm trying to say, hallelujah, there's a reason God put us here. And hallelujah, even if you feel like you're lacking, let me encourage you. God put you here for a reason. Don't get weary in well-doing. You keep on doing what God's called you to do. The work of the ministry can cause you to become withered. The work of the ministry can wither you physically, spiritually, emotionally. I'm talking from experience, if that's not obvious. Hallelujah. It's so easy then as a leader, as a church, to try to cure the withered hand by rituals and rules and let's do this, let's do that. And we've done our fair share looking around saying, well, how can we improve this? How can we improve that? that, There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve. But let me tell you something. Once you're in that condition, once you have that condition, applying new rules or Doing things differently, those things might help, but it's not going to cure the withered hand. There's only one that can cure the withered hand. You're not going to be able to think your way through this. You're not going to be able to work your way out of this. Working harder is not the answer. Thinking Putting it all down on paper. Hey, I'm going to listen to this tomorrow and I'm going to get all this for me, okay? (laughs) That's not the answer. But I can tell you what the answer is. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. It's Jesus. And I'm so thankful that even in my pride... 
where I have refrained from going to him because of one reason or the other. This little stubborn man, God calls out of the crowd and reminds me that he's anointed me and reminds me that he's blessed me and reminds me that he's called me and reminds me that he's given me a purpose. Let me call somebody out of the crowd right now and remind you God's got a purpose for you. God's got a blessing for you. He's called you for a reason. You're not here by accident. You are gifted. You are called. You are anointed and you're going to see revival and you're going to see miracles and you're going to see blessings. You're going to see your family come. You're going to see your friends come. Just don't get weary in well doing. Oh, And it is and I'm almost done. The answer the source of healing which God chose that really piqued my interest. Because God didn't say, you know, go sit down somewhere, let your hand rest. He didn't come over and grab his hand and heal it. He didn't do any of that. He spoke to the man and said what? Stretch forth your hand. But God, haven't we stretched forth our hand plenty times and it didn't work? God, didn't we do it a million times already? Haven't we done outreach already and it didn't work? Haven't we taught our Bible studies and it didn't work? Haven't we had our church services and it didn't work? Let me tell you, when Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, I believe that's what God's trying to say here today. There's a difference. Hallelujah. And God's telling somebody, don't get weary and well-doing. Stretch again. Reach again. Pray again. Preach again. Reach out to somebody again. Stretch forth your hand because it's going to come. But you got to stretch forth your hand. Can we stand here today? Peter is out toiling all night long working doing what he is good at working in his profession if anybody knows how to catch fish it's Peter but this night Peter brings home nothing this night, Peter is empty-handed. And see, for some of us casual fishermen, that'd be all right because you enjoyed your time out there. But for Peter, that was his livelihood. That was the funds he was going to use to take care of his wife, his family, his home. And now he's empty-handed Bible says he's just there cleaning out his boat, 
given up. Well, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to find another source of income. I guess I'm going to have to do something else because this just isn't cutting it. I guess I'm going to have to work somewhere else. Maybe I got to get into tax collecting. Maybe I got to get out there and get into carpentry. But as he's cleaning his boats, washing his nets, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus asks him, can I use your boat? He goes out and preaches from his boat for a couple minutes. And the Bible says when he's done preaching, he tells Peter, go out again. Cast your nets again. Jesus, don't you know I spent all night fishing? By now, he's worn out. I feel like maybe that's somebody in this place. By now, he's worn out. By now, he doesn't have the strength to throw that net over again. By now, he doesn't have the power to go out and to make it happen again. But Jesus tells them again, cast out your nets. Peter says, well, if you say for me to do it, I'll do it. In other words, I don't believe anything's going to happen. But if you tell me to do it, I'll go do it. And you know the story. Peter goes out there and he casts his nets and he gets such a large haul that he needed a second boat to, to come and help him and support him in bringing in the fish. Listen, I'm not here to try to predict. I could predict next week our church is going to double. I could predict that... You're going to see more young people in the youth. I could predict we're going to have more Sunday school come. I could predict a whole lot of things. I, I'm not going to predict anything. But I will tell you what Jesus said. Go cast your nets again. Stretch out again. Stretch forth again. It didn't stick the first time. Do it again. It didn't happen the first time you keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. It's not time to throw in the towel. No, you do it again. Come on, anybody today hear what I'm saying? Go fishing again. Go preaching again. Go teaching again. It's not time to give up. It's not time to give up. But stretch forth your hand again. Because there's healing in the stretching. And again, I'm not here to promise you that you do it again. You're going to see 
a double amount of fish, but I am here to promise you that if you will hear the word of God today, and this is a prediction, if you hear the word of God today and you make up in your mind, I'm not going to let these past failures or, or, or disappointments keep me locked up and withered away. I'm going to stretch out again. And if you do that, God's going to restore your faith. And God's going to restore your love. And God's going to restore your hope. He's going to give you what you had when you first started out in the ministry. But you got to stretch it out again. you got to cast your nets again. Oh, hallelujah. I'm done preaching. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come down and to cry out to Jesus. And maybe today this isn't you. Would you come down anyhow and help to create